Africa is a land with endless stories to tell. From epic battles, brilliant rulers, and the dramatic rise and fall of civilizations, join us on the History of Africa podcast to learn the oft-ignored stories of the African continent. From the sands of Cairo to the plains of Zimbabwe, and from the mountains of Ethiopia to the forests of the Congo, find the History of Africa podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 33, The Island of the Sun. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I'm your host, Nick Mashinsky. I'd like to just take a few moments to mention that you can follow the show on Twitter at Inca Podcast and you can like our Facebook page. There you can ask questions, connect with other listeners, and check out the various pictures the show posts. Lately I've been posting some videos that actually bring some of the Moche portrait vessels to life. It is really cool and definitely a bit creepy. Plus, I solicited followers for names for a baby llama that was just born in my area. So that's right, we're bringing pottery to life and trying to name llamas. Just some of the things you are missing out if you don't already follow us on Twitter or Facebook. A quick thank you to our patrons for supporting the show. Your support is truly appreciated. And if you'd like to support the show... You can go to patreon.com and search for A History of the Inca, or you can go to the show notes and click on the link. It'll take you right to our Patreon page where you can support the show at various levels. Or, if you're hesitant about supporting the show every month, you can simply go to the show's website, ahistoryoftheinca.wordpress.com, Go to this episode, and at the bottom there you can click the donate button to make a one-time donation to the show for $1. It is right next to an image of the great Huaca Pachacamac. You can't miss it. And thank you. As you probably recall from our last episode, Tupac is coming off ending the second rebellion against the Inca since becoming Sapa Inca. The first rebellion came from a group in Andasuyu, and the latest against the Koya. The fact that the Ayamara groups created trouble for the Inca was nothing new, but it was possibly Tupac's first time being this deep in this area of Tuatinsuyu. And since he was this far south, and happened to be on the banks of Lake Titicaca, why not visit the birthplace of the Inca's most revered deity, Inti? Enjoy. Let us take a few moments to reacquaint ourselves with the Inca creation story. The sun, Inti, and the moon, Kia or Mama Kia, were both called forth from Lake Titicaca by Viracocha, the creator god. From the lake they ascended into the sky. Now the points where Inti and Kia exited the lake were marked by two islands. The island of the sun and the island of the moon. Obviously with the Inca being direct descendants of Inti according to their creation story and Kia being his wife, 
Both islands were highly significant for the Inca. So how and when did the islands come into the Inca's possession? While the Island of the Sun was significant for quite a long time prior to the Inca, the archaeological team of Charles Stanish and Brian Bauer did a survey of the island in the 1990s and confirmed that the island was sacred even before the time of Tiwanaku. This is not necessarily a surprise when one considers the fact that the Island of the Sun is also the largest island on Lake Titicaca. Even Bernabe Cobo, who visited the island in the early 1600s, says in one of his accounts that the people of the area had venerated the sun at the shrine of the island well before the Inca arrived. The shrine at the Island of the Sun was the holiest site in the area and would have been key to legitimize Pachacuti's rule. If the Inca claimed to be the descendants of Inti, then shouldn't they be the ones in control of his birthplace? If we go back to episode 13, Earthshaker, we discuss how Pachacuti marched on the Koya, bringing in the area surrounding Lake Titicaca. This would have brought the islands into the Inca sphere as well. In his account, The Chronicles of Peru, Cieza de Leon states, He, Pachacuti, entered upon the lake of Titicaca and beheld the islands which are surrounded by it, ordering a temple of the sun and palaces to be erected on the largest for the use of himself and his descendants. However, it would be Tupac Inca Yupanqui who would make the most grand improvements to the site, according to Kobo. For those interested in reading some of the sources in the bibliography, you may want to refer to Inca Religion and Customs by Bernabe Kobo, as it provides a description of both the Island of the Sun and the Moon, as well as Tupac's voyage to these holy sites. The first place Tupac traveled was to the town of Copacabana. Here he gathered supplies and food. Then it was along the coast and onto the Yampupata Peninsula where a reed boat would have transported the Sapa Inca to the islands. Now the island of the moon, or Coati, is several miles to the east of the peninsula and significantly smaller than the island of the sun or the island of Tiwanaku, as Kobo calls it. The most significant building on the island of the moon is Inak Uyu. Situated on the eastern side of the island, the building contains very interesting architecture, but what may have been housed there was likely even more special. A life-size statue of a woman, likely Mamakia, represented in gold from the waist up, and silver from the waist down. Unfortunately for us, not much else is given in Kobo's account other than that the Mamakonas would also have lived on the island to serve in the temple. And the island of the moon would likely have been the second site visited by Tupac Inca Yupanqui. The voyage to the island of the sun was less than a mile from the peninsula. The reed boat carrying Tupac would have landed at a site called Pilco Keima. 
a structure that at this point served an unknown purpose. It is a freestanding complex with a dozen or so chambers and courtyards. It also has two stories, with the lower floor containing false domes of cobbled stone, an architectural technique not seen in any other surviving Inca buildings. The shrine to Inti was still about 10 kilometers away at the northern end of the island. While on the trek, one would enjoy a 360-degree view of Lake Titicaca. But the birthplace of Inti would have been unmistakable to Tupac as he approached. For the site of the shrine is a sandstone crag that juts up out of the island seemingly out of nowhere. It doesn't stick straight out, but a bit to one side, with its convex side facing east and the concave west. From this crag, Inti emerged from the lake and rose into the sky. According to Kobo, the site could use some improvements, and Tupac immediately sought to enhance it. He took the matter of enhancing the importance of this shrine so seriously that he did everything in his power to sustain it, enlarge it, and make it more illustrious. Before anything else, he ordered to make a display of his devotion and add to the reputation of his pilgrimage. The Inca fasted for many days, abstaining from salt, meat, and chili pepper, as was their custom. And on the many occasions that the Inca came to this sanctuary afterward, he became accustomed to removing his sandals 200 steps before reaching it. So what were some of the improvements Tupac made to the shrine and the island? Well, again, according to Kobo, Tupac built several buildings to enlarge the shrine and enhance its power. He also ordered lodgings for Mamakona and priests, as well as pilgrims, to be built to better serve the waka. Because remember, that's really what we're talking about here. I know I've been saying shrine up till this point, but I blame that on Kobo, as that was his term for the holy site. Anyways, the Sapa Inca also had kolkas and tambos built at Copacabana, to store provisions for those making the pilgrimage to the island and store goods for sacrifices at the site itself. This is possibly what the Chincana Labyrinth was used for. The remnants of this building are located just near the Waka. The trail leading up to the crag was planted with trees, and through these trees was the Intipunku, or Gateway of the Sun. This gate restricted the entrance to the waka and created a formal entranceway to the open-aired temple. But there at the waka was an altar to the sun with a millstone where the chicha would have been poured for Inti to drink. Let's talk about this crag, though. It was very much a major component of the holy site. On the convex side, remember that's the eastern side, a fine kumbi or cloth covered the entire crag. It is likely that this kumbi was actually many sewn together as the rock is massive. Meanwhile, the concave or western side 
was covered in plates of gold, much like several buildings of the Coricancha were. Imagine as the gold captured the rays of Inti as it set over Lake Titicaca and Pachamama in the distance. It would have been quite a sight to witness. Tupac continued adding things over the years. He put up more housing for the Mamaconas in a nearby town and added temples to the east. There, an image of Inti was present to worship. Iapa, or the Thunder God, as well as others were also housed there for visitors to pay tribute to. And let's talk about the pilgrimages to the island. Since it was brought into the empire, it was one of the most important holy sites in the Inca's possession. And when one thinks about how many hundreds or thousands of wakas there were in the Inca empire itself, that is saying something. Perhaps only the Coricancha and Pachacamac on the coast were the only other sites that were more important than the Island of the Sun. Given this significance, the island was able to attract many pilgrims to its shores. Pilgrims would first have to check in at Yunguyo, a town on the peninsula. There, guards inspected the travelers who would offer their penance. Such actions include blows to the back with a stone, or the less painful act of sustaining from salt, meat, and chili pepper. If they were deemed worthy, the pilgrims could go to Copacabana. There, they would make another offering before being allowed to go to the island. Of course, if you were allowed to enter the island, you had to bring something to offer. Nobody could simply visit the waka empty-handed. With a sacrifice or offering in hand, the pilgrims walked the path towards the waka, perhaps being shaded by the trees that were planted by the Order of Tupac and enjoying the cool breeze coming off of the lake. But it was at the Intipunco where they stopped. There the priest would come and take the offering from the pilgrim. The pilgrim would then pray and watch as the priest would sacrifice the offering to Inti. After their sacrifice was over, the pilgrim could then head to the temple housing the other huacas, rest in the tambo, or make their way to Kuati to pay their homage to Mamakia. Outside of the three levels of sacrifices that were offered to Inti at his birthplace, other ceremonies were conducted here. We are told that one such ceremony simulates the messages sent between Inti and Kia. A priest serving Inti and a Mamakona serving Kia would meet and drink to each other's health. The woman playing Mamakia would then caress the son, whispering and begging him to shine brightly, never ending his rays, and to make the fields fruitful to keep the Inca alive and in good health. Inti would then reply to Mamakia, answering according to Kobo with flowery words to fit the occasion. Wow, Kobo was quite the romantic, right? 
Getting back to the ceremony he recounts, it is almost as if Kobo is describing a play rather than a religious ceremony. Certainly details are missing from this retelling from our Spanish chronicler, but it doesn't read as religious of an account as some of the other ceremonies we've come across on the show. However, who says a play can't have a religious significance or purpose behind it? Perhaps it was a play for Inti and Mamakia, a way to honor them. Of course, we'll never truly know. Now the glory and prestige of the Island of the Sun that we've just described would not happen for several years yet. In our narrative, we are simply at Tupac's first of several visits to the island as the Sapo will work to continually improve the holy site, to bring it to the level worthy of being the birthplace of Inti. With his own pilgrimage complete and his instructions given to enhance the site, Tupac returned to the place where his troops were camped. On the way back to them, we can imagine him working out what he would say to them, for he had quite a proposition to offer. <laughs> 